Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan O'Rourke and I'm in studio with two of my friends, Ron Huntley. Good to see you. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. <laughs> and Father <laughs> James Mallon. I hope you can you can start us off stronger than Ron there. Yeah, Stum- stumbled there. over my name. Do you- <laughs> it's great to be back. <laughs> so guys, look, we, um, we get to the opportunity to work with leaders all over the world. We get to work with leaders of leaders all over the world. And so today I wanted us to, to explore a specific question around leadership, which is the question of, are leaders born? Or are they made? Yes. <laughs> and I agree with Ron, yes. <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's a bit of both. Are leaders born or made? It's so obvious to see people, you know, you think about when you were a kid, think about when you were in elementary school and who is the leader of the class, like who is one of the two leaders of the class? Like you mm. probably knew. They mm. didn't spend any time in leadership development. They didn't take any courses. And they didn't have a title. <laughs> they didn't have a title. That's right. But yet they somehow had influence and people followed them. Yeah. And so I think there's good evidence to suggest that they are born. Whether they continue to grow as leaders might be a different story. Whether they reach their full potential and their leadership capacity is another story. Mm. But then you have people, too, that you didn't even notice in high school. And all of a sudden you meet them 20 years later and they're having this huge impact in the world. And you're thinking, wow, I didn't know you had it in you. Mm. And, and so I think sometimes, uh, you know, I think sometimes people can do amazing things that others, they, maybe, maybe even times they themselves didn't know they were going to be able to do. I think, too, you know, for the sake of listeners who might yeah. be joining us for the first time, and we kind of swim in these waters, <laughs> but when we use the term leadership, we, we, you know, obviously there are two different types of leadership. There's positional, uh, positional yes. le- leadership mm-hmm. that comes with a, with a particular role or in the church, you know, the pastor or the priest or someone on staff. But the, so positional leadership is one thing, but really we're talking about kind of character-based leadership that really is about influence. And in that sense, as much as anyone has any kind of influence, that that mm-hmm. is about a leadership capacity. Um, and so I believe, I really believe that every person is has some capacity to lead. Some have uh, more capacity than others. But what everyone has in common is that everyone has the capacity to grow in their leadership. Yes. So it's is that, that whole question of, let, let me, that's the whole question of nature or nurture, right? Sure, sure, sure. But is it a cop-out to say, if leadership is influence and everybody has influence, what I'm hearing is everybody's a leader. Even your pet dog might be a leader because well, your dog's got the ability <laughs> to person. <laughs> I just wrecked the chair. <laughs> I just got my foot on it. Well, I used to take my dog. I feel like do- the chair is trying to lead you somewhere. I used huh? to take my dog for walks all the time, and he yeah. certainly led me to the park, <laughs> and let me tell you. Yeah, fair enough. That's true. <laughs> I mean, in fact, you know, I grew up in Scotland, and in Canada, in North America, we call a leash. Yeah. But in, in, in Canada, we called it, in Scotland, we called it a lead. Right. And I, usually the person is leading the dog, but the dog was always leading me. <laughs> so uh, influence, I mean, we were talking about, about people. So I do believe that everyone has some degree of influence. Some people just have more. Uh, and so in that sense, I think it's a natural gifting. And, and, but all natural giftings, all natural talents can actually be developed, you know, with, with, mm. with practice, with knowledge, the more that you learn about yourself, you learn about your particular giftings, and the more that you you practice, you learn from your mistakes. You can certain anyone, I believe, can grow in their in their leadership. And I'd agree with that. I think what when we talk about Dan in in the introduction, you talked about leaders of leaders. You know, mm-hmm. we talk you know, people that listen, or we have the opportunity to work with leaders of leaders. And when we're talking in that language, 
because here's the problem we all have. We all are limited by 168 hours a week. So we only have so much time. We only have so much emotional energy and we have multiple responsibilities. And so that's the, that's the issue that faces all of us as leaders. And so with our limited amount of time, how are we going to spend it? And we, I think as leaders, and here's my challenge to all leaders is, are you spending your time in the areas where you're going to get the biggest return on investment? Mm, And that sounds very like, because Jesus invested disproportionately in Peter, James, and John. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is, although everybody can grow, everybody has some degree of influence and everybody can grow in their capacity to increase that and improve that, if we're leaders of leaders, we have to be very discerning on who is it that God's put in our life that if we invested in them, they could have a huge impact on, on where God is calling our church to go. Ron, I remember you, as you say that, I'm having a flashback <laughs> to a conversation we had in the Royal Albert Hall in London, England, <laughs> in the early years when things were, were really exploding at, at St. Benedict Parish. But I was, I still had, I may have had some latent uh, leadership ability, but I certainly wasn't practiced and my knowledge level was quite low. And I did a, a lot of what I did in leadership, I did it instinctively. Uh, I kind of knew I had ability to, to get things moving and going, but also without it being really guided intentionally, it produced chaos. Mm-hmm. And we were drowning in the chaos of, of, of a lot of fruitfulness. And I had brought together some amazing people on the team. But I remember, Ron, you you talking to me at the break, I still remember we were, where we were standing, you were like, Ron calls me Jimmy. Now, no one else, anyone listening, you're not allowed to call me Jimmy. Uh, I've known Ron since I've, I've been 16 years old, but he was like, Jimmy, he says, like, who's your, who's your te- who are your people? Who are your key people? I'm like, well, you are. He was like, well, if I am, we're in trouble because I'm not feeling it. <laughs> and at that point, I was really, I, my, my model of priesthood was, you know, you put out a shingle and you're, it's first come, first serve, and you make yourself available to anyone and everybody who wants to see you. So my day was often literally eight to nine hours of back-to-back half-hour appointments mm. with people who wanted to see me. And I never met with my key people. Mm. I never met with Ron. I never met with any other other key staff unless there was some kind of emergency because I didn't think I needed to. I didn't mm. think I had to. Mm. And But yet I would meet with anyone else who asked. <laughs> well, and I think that's, that's the default, I really believe. Like... As we coach into churches and pastors all over the world, I think that's more common. It's, actually, that is the norm. That is the norm. That's, but that's also the cultural expectation of our priests, isn't it? We we believe that that's he's our he's my priest. Mm-hmm. I should be able to see him whenever so, I want to. On call chaplain. On call chaplain. Yep. Yeah, when I need him, he's mm-hmm. going to be there for me. But Rob Rob McDowell and I just did a, a session, a DR lead session for those in the Divine Renovation Network, and it, and it was really talking about loving your t- shepherding your team and loving others through systems. Mm. And that was his idea. I just thought that's so rich because, you know, the problem that you face and you often would say it when you would preach is that, you know, if you had dinner with every single parishioner, <laughs> it would take you 10 years to get through the congregation. Yeah. If, if, I, if I went to two different <laughs> homes a week, it would take me something like eight years yeah. to visit everyone. And, and I, I remember saying that that might be fine with many of you, <laughs> but it's not fine with me. Like if, if the only uh, locus of caring yeah. or pastoral care is, isn't the person, the priest, well, that's okay if you've got a church of 100 people, mm-hmm. uh, but it starts breaking down pretty quickly. So I've got a quote I want to get you two to respond to. This is a quote from one of my favorite author, authors, uh, Stephen Covey. I thought you were going to say Ron Huntley. 
Uh, so one of my, my favorite authors that isn't in the room, uh, <laughs> he's top three. You guys are the other two. Uh, so, so the quote is, this is a false dichotomy. Leaders are neither born nor made. Leaders choose to be leaders. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> that is good. That's... Whew. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's all of the above, right? It's yes. le- leaders are born and they, and they are made. Uh, you don't choose to be born, uh, but you, 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 you can choose to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And, and leadership is, is all, always, in t- it always ha- comes back to intentionality. You, do, you don't have leadership mm-hmm. if there's no intentionality. Intentionality is about the will. That's about, that's about choice because uh, there is, I, I, you know, the, the second law of thermodynamics apply equally in the spiritual sphere. That is like, you know, uh, without an input of energy from the outside, things, systems tend towards chaos. Mm-hmm. That's just simply the way of things. And, and that input of energy, it's got to be intentional if you're going to bring order and, and, and maximize the chance for your systems to have an impact. So that really is what leadership is all about. I recently heard, I was reminded of, of, a, of a phrase that church systems, church life in and of itself, if you don't invest intentionally that energy, they, they, they go up and in. Right. Um, meaning that a church will go up in age. I mean, think about it. Every year, the sheep get <laughs> one year older. The pastor gets one year older. Everyone gets a bit grayer. If, if you don't invest intentionally, it, it goes up and, and in, in, in the sense that it becomes an inward-focused church. That's mm-hmm. the, if you do nothing, that's what happens. Uh, whereas if, if you activate leadership and a leader chooses to step in and has a vision for what it means to be a missionary parish, then you can actually impact your church so that it can be a down and out church. <laughs> now, I know that we use the term down and out in a negative sense, but think about it. Down, we, we start driving down the age and we become more outwardly focused. Think about your average church. I remember when I first arrived at St. Benedict Parish being really struck by, oh my goodness, it's a, it's a mature congregation. When we heard a first meeting of ministry leads, I remember having a sense of panic in my heart and thinking, we've got a window of about five, six years to turn this around because the ministry leads were beautiful, wonderful, incredible, incredibly committed and dedicated people, generous people, but they were mature in years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if we don't start going down and out, we're going to be in trouble. And that always involves a choice. Mm-hmm. It really does. I remember for myself, the first time anybody ever said anything to me about leadership and, you know, playing sports and stuff, I was, had the blessing of, you know, being captain of teams and stuff growing up, but I never saw that as leadership. I didn't even know why mm-hmm. they chose me because I always felt like there were people way better than me at whatever sport I was in. Um, so I never made the connection. I just, I don't know. Right. It's cognitive, but I remember years at one point, Sister LaRose uh, taught biology in grade 11, I think. And she, at that last class of the year, and I was always getting in trouble because I wasn't a very good student. And uh, sometimes I'd get laughing and giggling with my friends. And last class of the year, she asked me and Angie Romke to stay behind. And I'm thinking, it's the last class of the year. There's no way I can have an attention on the last class of the year. <laughs> and Angie Romke's a model student. Like I couldn't, I'm thinking, why is she saying this? And so my mind was in chaos and we went up and, and then she said, you know, guys, I, I asked you to stay behind because there's a leadership camp that happens every summer. It's two weeks long and I'd like you to talk to your parents about going because I see leadership in the both of you and I really believe that you need to, um, to, to, to develop it. And she gave us those two things. I was in shock. Wow. And on my way out of the dorm, I'm embarrassed to say, I literally threw it in the garbage can and kept on going because I was just so happy that I wasn't in trouble. 
And so, <laughs> and so that whole idea of choosing, yeah, there's my choice. No. And it was years later, as in my mid-20s, that you know, I'd heard it from enough people that maybe there was something to the fact that God wanted to use me as a leader. But I, I really didn't see it in myself, and I didn't mm. know I had that. Mm. But I remember praying a very simple prayer, saying, Lord, I'm going to stop running from it. And if this is real, I want it. I want to lay it out in love and service of you for the rest of my life. Mm. And so I'm going to say yes from now on. I'm going to stop running from it. And I want to glorify you with it. Mm. And ever since then, he has. And so it, it really, for me, it was a choice. I think, you know, other people saw things in me I didn't see in myself. So maybe that could be the born part. Yeah. And then it was the choice part. But then it was the leaning into it part. Yes. Because I did, I've done a ton of things mm. to grow in my understanding of leadership, the language mm. of it, my own, my own personal identity and how I'm hardwired. I have invested heavily and then have had years and years and years mm. of running different things and organizations. And so that's the lived experience of it. And so yeah. I, I think uh, as well, you know, leadership is a choice. A part of that choice is it, it, it just is linked to humility and accepting how God has gifted you in, in a way. I remember, Ron, in the years past when I would struggle with my influence, uh, you, you often would tell me to, just to get over it. And really that, that the resistance or the reluctance to choose to lead was perhaps even a, a, a form of pride, you know. I, I remember in the seminary, uh, the, the, my third year, I had my evaluation interview with, with the rector. And I remember sitting in his office and he said something to me at the time that really confused me. He said, James, your, your classmates have, have recognized you. They, they believe that you have leadership qualities. Uh, and I remember being like... What? Like, that is preposterous. Like, and I, I remember this day I said to him, I don't think so. I said, I, I think I'd be a good behind the scenes guy, like a good second person. No, you I'm, wouldn't. <laughs> I'm terrible at that. <laughs> but I said, I remember saying, I'm not a leader because I just didn't think that I, I would have what it takes to be up, kind of like the, the upfront person, of course. But I was thinking of leadership as the being that upfront person and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that and, and yeah. so it really was I never in any way thought of myself as that until many many years later as a priest when I actually discovered strengths finders right because when I did first when I first discovered my top five themes of talent which those of you who are familiar with with the Gallup uh, you know you can <laughs> anyway ch check it out if, if you're not f familiar with it but when I saw my top five I was horrified <laughs> I, <remember that. laughs> I was absolutely horrified because everything that it named except for my fifth one the first four I had always thought were character flaws defects and I had for years sought to suppress them and here was this tool saying, actually, this is the way God has made you. Yeah. And if you lean into these mm -hmm. and learn about them so that they're not out of control, mm -hmm. uh, but you actually lean into these, this is the path to allowing God to use you. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, leaning into your particular strengths also means you need people around you to balance you out. Mm -hmm. But that really unlocked everything. And that was really the beginning, I think, of a choice to actually lead and recognizing how God has has gifted me, and the fact that by myself, I'm I'm still as as gifted as I may or may not be. 
I, I'm still, it's still not enough. You need other people around you to balance. So you we out. work with, uh, with, I mean, there's lots of leaders of leaders listening to us right now. You know, whether you're a pastor mm. or, or a priest or a lay leader, whatever, whatever your role happens to be, you're, there's many people listening who, who are leading other leaders. Um, with, with, the, with the element of choice, which both of you explained is part of your own journey as leaders, uh, what are some of the things that you see us doing in the divine renovation model that help people make that choice? Because I think when I think, well, if I sit back, I think there are actually some things that are, are already built into the divine renovation model of how, how parishes operate that allow people to, to, to choose that leader identity. Mm. It's, it's, that's a great question, Dan, because a lot of the people that we work with or that I, that I work with specifically in terms of people I coach, they too don't see them. Not all of them see themselves as a leader. They, they accept the positional authority that they have, but they don't understand what that leadership could look like and how much of a blessing they can be to other people. I find people grow into it if they're willing to continue putting one foot in front of the other. You know, we can chicken out at any given point. We can mm. back out at any given point. We can set boundaries to what God wants to do with, with us at any given point. But for those few that are courageous enough to continue to be coached and be drawn out, I see them being completely transformed mm. and it impacts everything disproportionately. And that's a weird feeling when you're that person that God's, and I've watched that happen to you, Father James. Mm. It doesn't make sense to you how the disproportionate nature of the impact that you're having on people. And sometimes that can be uncomfortable. And at any given point, we can pull back. Yeah, We can say, that's enough, or I'm not worthy, or we... But the call is, can we be courageous enough to trust? Yeah, And can we continue putting one foot in front of the other? The thing is, too, if, if leadership is the, the, the gift and the discipline that unlocks and unleashes all the other gifts for the sake of the kingdom of God. And if you think of, our, of your average parish, you may always like to ask priests, what percentage of capacity is your parish operating at? I think the average parish is about 5% of engine capacity because the engine is, is the people. And, mm-hmm. and how many of their gifts have actually been unleashed yeah. And set free and and focused on the mission at hand, very very a very very low percentage. So, if leadership is such a key, and the task of the priest and the baptized, because remember, priest, mm-hmm. prophet, king, yep. the, the kingly gift or a calling is about is about governance or, or leadership. That we often talk about that in our tradition as 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 part of as the identity of the priest and the role of the priest. But also in baptism, mm-hmm. we're configured prophet, priest, and king. Mm. And so we've got a responsibility as baptized persons to exercise, the, to grow in our leadership capacity. It's an obligation. It's part of the, the talent that the Lord has given us that, that he wants, doesn't want us to bury it in the ground, but to develop it. I'm thinking of a work that I discovered about a year ago written by a, um, a, a behavioral psychologist by the name of Dr. Karen Keller. And I've discovered her work, and she did a study a number of years ago on what constitutes, if leadership is influence, and everyone has a degree of influence, um, you know, that's distinct from, say, the influence you may have in a, in a position, uh, but so what constitutes influence? And she was able to identify seven traits of influence, and in many ways, it, it, it's, it's very easy to reconcile her thinking with traditional Catholic thinking around virtues. So you think that virtues are, are the natural virtues, unlike the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love uh, that we need only can grow through God's grace. These natural virtues can be developed through, uh, through being disciplined. Mm. These seven traits of influence are like virtues. You can actually 
practice them and get better. Hmm. And and the the traits are are like um, passion, um, um, sense of purpose, likability, trustworthiness. Hmm. Um, the you know uh, the the amount of, you know in, empowering others. Right. Uh, they're they're actually and there's. Each in what she does in her work in, in each of these traits, she breaks even down about how you can actually grow in these things and helping people to have a clear understanding of what it is, so that you can actually uh, all naturally and through God's grace yes. actually begin to grow in your influence. Because if you look at these seven traits, what strikes me in her work is that the person that I think of the most mm-hmm. who embodies these seven mm-hmm. traits. Jesus. Is Jesus yeah, yeah, embodies them beautifully, and there's scriptures you can use. So often when I when I speak to priests, I've I've used her material and actually mm-hmm. broken open uh, these seven traits of influence to to, to show that inf- leadership is a choice, and you can actually grow in your leadership. And it doesn't matter what what how much influence you have naturally. If you've got uh, say uh, a, a three out of ten naturally, and you and you actually grow, you could effectively bring your leadership up to a nine. If you're naturally given a six and you do nothing, guess what? You're still a six. So true. Hmm. One of the things I love that we do with the coach or the priests that we work with is we get them to work out of a team. And we won't coach them if they're not willing to work out of a team. And I also empower the team, basically saying, guys, I expect all of you to lead well, and you can't let your pastor continue to stink at leading. Because it's your fault now. <laughs> like mm. We're in this together. You have a responsibility to form each other, to be honest with each other, to call each other to be better, to see the best in each other and call it out. And that can be scary at first. Mm. <laughs> so, Ron, let me, because I think that you're touching on something that's really important. Um, one of the things, of course, we, we challenge uh, pastors and parish, parish priests to do is to build that senior leadership team. But in order to build that senior leadership team, they need to put leaders around them. So what are some of the extrinsic and intrinsic uh, characteristics we would see inside of the kinds of people that we think uh, we, we should be investing in and raising up as leaders? Well, Father James in the guidebook does you do a really good job talking about the four non-negotiables. Why don't you lay that out and then we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other stuff. Yeah, I, this is, you know, non-negotiables that, that contribute to the, the healthy functioning of a, of a team. And it can be, you know, in terms of the particular people you have is going to really be based on whether the size of your parish, whether you, I mean, a parish with lots of staff, you really want your your leadership team members to be staff members because they're close to the action. In a parish that's maybe smaller, uh, you're going to have maybe a mix of staff and, 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 and parishioners. And even maybe some of the small parishes we coach yeah. actually have all parishioners. So um, that, that, that can change. But one of the things, the, the four things that are non-negotiable are unanimity of vision. So really being on board with the vision because if it's not, then you can have experience all these tensions and conflict. And really, even though you seem to be disagreeing about strategy and tactics, you really the real issue is is the direction, is the vision. The second one is um, vulnerability-based trust. So that there's, I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, um, if you're in a small a team and even one person on your team there's no trust, it, it wrecks the whole thing. It just everyone feels it, and you're not going to be real. It's not going to be a safe place to actually even disagree on things like strategy and tactics if there's not trust and and vulnerability doesn't mean that you know you're it's trying your, all it's the your, time it's your counseling group it <laughs> yeah. just means that you're real you That's know right. like, let's lower the mask and you can own your stuff like when you mess up that yeah. you have the self-awareness to say yeah. i was cranky yesterday and now the way That's i right. talked was inappropriate and i need to apologize and those things kind of set the table for for healthy conflict because as patrick lencioni says conflict without trust is politics and Although, you know, that's rare in the church. It's, uh, 
it, it's, it, it kind of clogs the wheels of, yeah. of you know, because you want, in a good conversation, you want to be making the best decisions possible. And then the, one of the other elements that really contributes incredibly well to the, to the functioning of a team is balance. Because the last thing you want to do is bring people around you who are, who, who are hardwired just like you, who are gifted just like you. Like if you're more of a, a driver person and you don't care too much about details, the last thing you want around you is a bunch of people just like you because it's you're gonna be it's gonna fall apart. And uh, so you really want that that sense of balance and there's all kinds of tools you can have. If you're in a small parish uh, and you have you have parishioners, they may have less hands-on uh, a role to play in the in the execution of things in in, in your parish. Um, just simply because of time, uh, but if you're in a bigger parish with lots of staff and and your your team members are staff members, then you really want real leadership people who also, in addition to these these things, have have influence over others. And that's where we come up with the FACT thing, you know, mm-hmm. fact. Yeah, and I've seen in some of those small churches, oddly enough, some of these volunteers that are on the SLT. You know, some of them, you know, are stay-at-home people, mm-hmm. and their level of commitment to the church and able, ability to get involved at a significant level is very impressive. And sometimes yeah. people resist the temptation of asking people because they're volunteers. Mm-hmm. But some volunteers have incredible capacity and willingness to engage in the mission of the church. And so, I would just really encourage you, if you're one of those smaller churches, don't not ask. Let yeah. other people say no. I said it to the priests when they're, you know, in our own diocese, we're asking all of our pastors to form leadership teams and step one is to make a big list and i said to the guys don't take don't remove anyone's name Amen. put put everyone's name don't make the decision for them because you might say well that person's too busy or whatever but you you give them a big enough ask that's, that's got like an amazing dream behind it you might be surprised what people will say yes to I, if it's a medium thing not interested but if you're serious about what you're saying i'm willing to, to do it i'm willing yeah. to step up so I heard from both of you guys today that leaders are not a maid. They're, they are uh, both born and made. And finally, it's a choice. And it was interesting that it was both part of both of your journeys that that choice had to be made. So if you've been joining us today and you haven't yet made the choice to embrace your leadership, I, I think it might be time to, to, to reflect and, and take it to prayer because God made you who you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, choosing to be who God made you is, is part of our, our journey as, as Christians and as Catholics. Thanks for being with us this week. We look forward to being with you again next week. God bless. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be part of a parish going through a transformation? Then look no further than Divine Renovation Apprentice, written by Father Simon Lobo. This book is full of practical insights on how to change the culture of your parish to move from maintenance to mission. To find your copy, follow the link in the description below. Next week on the podcast. It might take you away from your question a little bit is when people ask that question, church seems to have lots of money, why should I give? Hypothetically speaking, even if the church doesn't have a need for your giving, you do. I don't give primarily because the church needs money. I give because God has asked me to trust him and be faithful with my giving.